Swami welcomes you with great love and great respect from the heart of all. Welcome to Meditative Living with Swami Shivananda Giri. Today, we will finish our exploration of the authoritative Guru Gita of His Holiness, Mahamandeleshwar, Paramahamsa, Swarupananda, Vishwaguru Maharaj of Los Angeles, California, who is this Swami's guru. He was also, in 2007, the very first white-skinned, American-born human being entered into the rank of the 80 Mahamandeleshwars within what is most commonly referred to as Hinduism, more precisely referred to as Sanatana Dharma or Sanatan Dharma, which translated to English most properly is the eternal natural way. The umbrella term Hinduism is really more a geographical term referring to by the English invaders of India referring to the Indus I-N-D-U-S Valley region and those who live there. But it's spread all over and includes a great many different traditions, different lineages, uh, different Ishwaras, Ishwara, uh, being a Sanskrit word referring to the ideal. Like in Christianity, the character of Jesus is the Ishwara, is the, or within the New Testament, is the ideal to be followed, to be emulated, to listen to, to that sort of thing. Uh, Within this Swami's tradition, we most closely align philosophically with the Trika tradition within Kashmir Shaivism, which holds Shiva as the Ishwara. And this book, The Authoritative, Guru Gita is called such because it provides insight into the philosophy and tradition that the authors of the original ancient text, the Guru Gita, draw from. These are, namely, Kashmir Shaivism, Sri Vidya, and possibly some form of Vaishnavism. All of these fall under the broader umbrella of Tantra, in this case. Now, stepping away from this just for a moment to anyone who hears the word Tantra and immediately thinks of sex, <laughs> what Tantra really represents is the mixing of the divine into the mundane world 
through varying practices, techniques, thus and such. Tantric sex would refer to those practices of a sexual nature which assist one or a couple in directly experiencing some degree of divinity within one another and within themselves. Okay? Back to the explanation <laughs> of this text from the back of the same book. The commentary found here is also practical in its nature. It is intended to serve as an aid in the practice of the yoga associated with the guru path. Incidentally, the authoritative Guru Gita also includes the full 352 shloka, or verse, Guru Gita in its original Sanskrit, in Roman script rather than Devanagari, Roman script being, you know, ABCs, English type ABCs, in order to facilitate the chanting of Guru Gita, which is one of its purposes. Finally, the above-mentioned commentary is noteworthy in that it was composed at the request and under the close supervision of Mahamandeleshwar Swarupananda, one of Hinduism's 80 Mahamandeleshwars, by definition, a Mahamandeleshwar is a theological authority, the weight of whose stance is second only to the four Shankaracharyas within Hinduism. In the four compass points of India, there is at each a Shankaracharya who would be somewhat equivalent to the Pope within Catholicism. Thus, this truly is the authoritative position on the Guru Gita. The translation of the original Sanskrit shlokas or verses was done by our Guru Bai, our sister, under Mahamandeleshwar Swarupananda. She is named Acharya Padma Najendra. And the primary task of putting this all together and writing the commentary within was carried out by Swami Anantananda Giri. Some type 1 listeners may be familiar with him as Brandon Ballantyne or Herb Guy. He began as a student directly with this Swami, then moved to Los Angeles in order to be at the feet for direct instruction of our guru, and he then became a Swami himself. All right. <sighs> Getting ready to end this project. This has been over a year. <laughs> and the one, the series that came before this one, the Chittakasha Gita of Bhagwan Nityananda of Ganeshpuri, India, also took over a year and also took 22 episodes. So this seemed a most synchronous and appropriate episode within which to wrap this one up. Shloka or verse 
295 in the conversation between Shiva and his wife, Parvati. Shiva said, Oh, Parvati, listen! There are two types of knowers of truth. Those who are silent and those who speak about it. Those who are silent are of no use to the world because they don't teach. Among the knowers of truth, he who speaks is an expert in helping others cross the ocean of samsara. He removes doubts using knowledge of the scriptures which is backed by his own experience of self-realization. By repeating the name of the guru, the sins accumulated over many lifetimes are destroyed. There is not the least doubt of this. On this earth, there is no God who is comparable to the Guru. There is no Father who measures up to the Guru. And there is no action even remotely as meritorious as that of meditation upon the Guru. One's clan, wealth, strength, relatives, and brothers are of no use at all at the time of death. The scriptures are of no help in and of themselves. The guru alone is the savior of all under his care. By service to the guru, one's entire clan is purified. By offering oblations to the Guru, Brahma and all other gods are satisfied. The Guru alone knows the true nature of the Supreme God. It is only by Guru's grace that such knowledge is obtained, not otherwise. Even tens of millions of scriptures will not bestow that knowledge. Without the knowledge of one's own true nature, directly and consciously within oneself, actions are useless. Without self-realization, all means from japa and penance to all the rest, are comparable to the prattle of a child. Some people think Shiva to be supreme. Some consider Vishnu or Hari to be supreme. Some consider Brahma to be supreme. While others consider Shakti to be supreme. Thus, without true knowledge, men think differently. Men who are averse to the Guru's initiation do not know the supreme principle. They are deluded like animals devoid of self-knowledge. Therefore, in order to attain liberation, one should propitiate the guru. Without the guru, the stupidity of men will prevail and they will not know the supreme state. O goddess, by the guru's mercy, the knot in the heart is opened. All doubts destroyed, and all one's actions become weaker. 
Swami Anantananda's commentary here. Actions automatically imply consequences. This is karma, the law of cause and effect. This dynamic is in effect so long as actions are based upon the erroneous notion of I as distinct from an other. The closer the individual comes to steadiness in the perception of non-duality, the weaker the individual's bonds to their actions and also the reactions that are implied. Kindly allow this Swami to expand a bit here. Here, this is, this is the way this Swami's experience has gone. In the beginning, a great deal of mental energy, emotion, reactions, actions, all of that, all over the map. While in belief that unity exists, but still yet without the direct knowledge, the direct experience within that grants or gets one closer and closer and closer to that realization. Even with the well-studied intellectual agreement that such is the case, Still, ignorance reigns, and ignorance of truth <laughs> is what causes all the rest of Whether I mean, you can call them good things, bad things, neutral things, whatever, but that's the cause of it. We forgot. We forgot in order to play out our role as an individuated unit of consciousness within the play of consciousness. We walked onto a stage with a name and a form and came to find out the whole thing's ad lib. There are certain parameters, much like the stage has a physical dimension to it go too far one way well you're off the stick <laughs> go too far forward you may fall <laughs> and there is an audience of sorts and there is action upon the stage for varying purposes but not until one is stable and without, completely without the appearance, the idea of individuated, without any further seeing that as the case, it is completely impossible to maintain enlightenment slash liberation. Different traditions can use that as the same thing, and then some traditions will use enlightenment as a stepping area one moves through in varying steps until liberation occurs. Liberation being the release from samsara, from birth and death, then having no need whatsoever to continue to appear in any form at all. 
Now, one may make the choice to, if they, you know, that becomes possible. All things become possible, actually. It just depends. Because there is a certain karma called prarabdha, which is the karma which brought us into this embodiment we are experiencing right now. And there are certain parameters within which we are free to make decisions based on our understanding. And then there are things outside those parameters we may wish for, we may plan for, we may struggle for, we may want to avoid that which is in the parameters, but that's not doable. <laughs> and sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. Back to the text. Verse 307. Shiva said to Parvati, by practicing devotion to the guru, as per the instructions of the Vedas and other scriptures, disciples will be released from the most terrible of sins. He is fit to be ordained by the Guru's initiation who has abandoned bad company and renounced sinful action. He is fit to be ordained an initiate whose mind is fixed in renunciation, who has renounced pride and anger, and who has renounced the idea of duality. He is fit to receive the Guru's initiation, who is endowed with these characteristics, who is interested in the welfare of all beings, and who lives a pure, and untainted life. Shiva said, I am the originator of Mantra Diksha, as well as all other rites and injunctions. If the act of initiation is not executed properly, how can one be said to be the follower of the injunctions of the guru principle which bestow proximity to the guru. Swami Anantananda's commentary here. It is the guru, the enlightened, liberated one in a human form who knows himself to be Shiva, the originator of all initiations, rites, and injunctions. Thus, it is the guru who is fit to initiate one into the guru principle. It is only by the guru that one is blessed with the vision of non-duality. Allow this Swami to add here, as with so much of the Guru Gita, we have to be capable of discerning by the context when the discussion is touching on the living, embodied human being tasked with the function of guruing. And when is it a combination of the limited, embodied human living and when is it the overall, the infinite, the eternal, 
Hmm, that's that's difficult sometimes. Eventually, it becomes very simple. But for a time, it is quite complicated to be able to even discern that much. And until you can discern that much, uh, your gain in, in right understanding will be quite limited. Returning to the text, verse or shloka 313, Shiva said to Parvati, regardless of one's qualification or lack thereof, the life of the one taking shelter at the Guru's feet will be successful. He will attain both the pleasures of this world and liberation alike. O Goddess, I will be pleased if this is told to one with a ripe mind who is endowed with faith and devotion. O Parvati, this Gita is the most secret of all the scriptures. After careful examination, this Gita should be narrated to the great souls and to spiritual practitioners alike. This Guru Gita should be told by all means to the one who is wise and ripe with fructified, meritorious karma. This Guru Gita should never be told to the adherent to the Nastika or atheistic branches of philosophy, to the ungrateful, to the hypocrite, or to the arrogant. It should not be told to those without devotion or to those whose devotion is divided. This Guru Gita should not be told to men who are lustful, who are fools, who are infatuated with women, or to those who are abusive by nature, prone to casting blame upon others. Allow this Swami to insert here. Recently on Facebook, this Swami paraphrased an old Chinese proverb that says, one who places blame upon others has not yet begun the journey. One who places blame on their own mind is halfway there. One who finds nowhere to place blame or praise has arrived. Take that as you will. Returning to the Guru Gita. Shloka 319. Shiva says to Parvati, O Devi, O Goddess, this Gita is the destroyer of all sin. It resolves all obstacles and destroys the cycle of birth and death. O Parvati, this is the summary of Shruti. That's a Sanskrit word that means that which is heard. 
allow this Swami to complete this shloka without the explanation of Shruti. O Parvati, this is the summary of Shruti in a nutshell. Without devotion to the Guru's feet, there is no liberation. It is due to sins committed over many lifetimes that the meaning of the Guru Gita will not appeal to some. In order to eliminate the bondage of life, one should appease Guru. I offer my prostration unto that Guru who gives the experiential knowledge that uh, I myself am this universe. I am the supreme state. Enough with the distractions. I alone exist. The entire universe with all of its parts, both moving and unmoving, reside in me only. He who has revealed this secret to me is one who is worthy of adoration. He alone is the true guru. He who has neither end nor middle, who has neither hands nor feet, who has neither name nor lineage, for whom there is no strain, who has neither caste nor subcaste, who is neither man nor woman nor neuter, he who possesses neither shape nor disfigurement, for whom there is neither birth nor death, in whom there is neither merit nor demerit, who is natural, who is one homogeneous principle. That is the Sadguru to whom I offer my prostration. Shiva continuing to address Parvati. Prostrations to the one who is eternal, who is truth, whose nature is consciousness, who is ever new, who is grand, who is the greatest of the great, who is pure, who is enlightened, and who is the king of the gurus. Prostrations to him whose nature is existence, consciousness, bliss, who is all-pervading and whose form is light and bliss. Prostrations to the guru who is of the form of light and bliss, who is the cause of knowledge, perception, and bliss who is the knower of the Vedanta and who is the witness of the intellect. Allow this Swami to explain. Vedanta means the end of the Vedas, the knowledge of the knowledge. Veda meaning knowledge. Returning to the text. Verse or shloka 329. Shiva says to Parvati, Salutations to you, Lord God, who are Shiva in the form of the Guru. In order to spread knowledge, you take on many forms. 
prostrations to he who is ever new, who is the ultimate reality, who is the dispeller of all ignorance and darkness, who is a mass of pure consciousness. To the one who is independent, who is the embodiment of mercy, whose self is Shiva, who is dependent upon the devotees, who is of splendorous form, who is the wisdom of the wise, who is the discrimination of those who are discriminating, who is the light of those who are shining, who is the knowledge of the knowers of truth. To that one, in all directions, I offer my prostrations, to the front, to the back, to each side, above and below. May he be pleased to abide in my heart. Prostrations to Sri Guru, who is the embodiment of bliss, by whose mere presence the mind realizes the bliss of pure consciousness. Prostrations to you, O Guru, who are always abiding in natural bliss, whose nectar-like words kill the poison of transmigratory existence. Allow this Swami to explain here. Transmigratory existence equals samsara, the wheel of birth and death and 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 birth and death over and over and over and over and over. Back to the text. Shloka or verse 336. Shiva says to Parvati, by the innumerable pieces of advice offered by the Guru, his disciples are saved. By his grace, they attain the same supreme state as that of their Guru. Prostrations to you, O Lord, Supreme Self, imperishable one, knower of all scripture, embodiment of the one pure mass of consciousness. Prostrations to Guru, who is imperishable, who is of the form of both knowledge and ignorance, who is clever in leading disciples along the right path, and whose grace is like the ocean of nectar. Prostrations to the guru, who is the firm and unfailing bridge across the ocean of samsara, who fulfills the actions of his disciples, who abides as blissful consciousness. Nothing equals the name of the guru. No god, no father, no lord or relative, nothing is equal to the supreme state of the guru. One who does not honor the giver of the monosyllable, Om, will attain the womb of a dog 
100 times over before being born as an outcast. If one abandons the guru, they will attain death. If one renounces the mantra, poverty will occur. If one abandons the guru mantra, they will attain a hell called Rarava. Swami Anantananda's commentary. The Hindu tradition posits the existence of multiple levels of both heavens and hells. These traditions, various levels, are described by some sources as being seven in number. Other sources describe even further subdivisions. Rarava is the name of a specific one of these levels. It is described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which states that there are 28 different hells in all. The naming of various heavens and hells is a subject tackled by pretty much every piece of Puranic literature. This is of what are known as the Puranas, of which there is an enormous body. Sometimes the accounts are contradictory. Often they exhibit an underlying moral bias that puts them at odds with the moral values of other cultures. This even puts them at odds with the values of certain subcultures of India itself, such as the tantric sources that also largely influenced the original Guru Gita. This isn't to say that these moral values don't serve a valuable function. Cohesive community is based on certain social contracts, and a shared belief in one of these models is, historically speaking, a way in which that cohesion has been promoted. Moralistic teachings have their place, but there is a higher teaching. Ultimately, there are only two forces at work in the world, concealment and grace. Shiva's power of concealment results in the contraction of consciousness, which creates and sustains the world and the individual's involvement with it. Grace results in the expansion of consciousness, which destroys the individual's inclination toward ignorance and worldly matters. It is one's involvement in the world and their clinging to ignorance from which actions arise that necessitate a period of atonement in the various hells. It is the guru who promotes the disengagement from worldly entanglements and from ignorance completely. Laying these aside, the individual is spared such a fate. However, one who turns their back on the guru is making a conscious decision to return to the path 
of ignorance and thus has guaranteed their future residence in hell and subsequent incarnations marked by undesirable karma. This Swami feels that pretty much says it. Yep. We do have choice. We often make the wrong choice. <laughs> Due to ignorance. We just don't know yet. But once we do know, it is still possible to make a wrong choice. Yep. And we have the freedom to do it. But we do not have freedom from the consequence of it. That's how it works. And there are plenty of individuated units of consciousness functioning in ignorance who will tell you otherwise. <laughs> well, best of luck to them and those that they influence. Things will not turn out well. Certainly not as they dream and fantasize. Shloka 343, Shiva says to Parvati, the guru will protect one from Shiva's anger, but even Shiva cannot protect one from the guru's anger. Therefore, by all means, one should oblige the guru's orders. I salute the king of the mantras who is called guru. It is he alone who is the mantra to cross over the ocean of samsara, who is worshipped by Lord Brahma and all the sages alike, who is the destroyer of suffering due to poverty, and who is the destroyer of terrible fears. Seventy million great mantras result only in restlessness of mind. The only mantra that is truly great contains only two letters, Gu and Ru. Having said this, Mahadeva, or Shiva, this Swami lovingly reminding you, <laughs> we practice Mahadeva, Mahayoga. Mahayoga meaning the great union. Mahadeva with the great God of God. Returning <laughs> to the text. Having said this, Mahadev addressed Parvati further. Listen, O Devi, this indeed is the supreme principle, bestower of all happiness. O Devi, Everything about this guru principle has been revealed to you. This inexpressible secret should not be told to anyone. O incarnation of truth, O Devi, what is said by me is true. There is no him in this world that is equal to the Guru Gita. O Devi, this Guru Gita 
is the destroyer of the sufferings born of samsara. But it should never be read in front of someone who has not received initiation from a guru. Allow this Swami to insert here. It's highly unlikely. <laughs> and this is one of the very interesting protective properties built in that anyone who has not yet received initiation through this Swami, through another, whatever, a proper initiated human being will have no interest whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it's a kind of magic, I suppose, but it's a built-in safety. Always has been, is right now, and always will be. Verse 350, Shiva says to Parvati, O Maheshvari, another term for Parvati, this secret of secrets should not be made available to sinners. The Guru Tattva becomes available to men only due to the fructified merit accrued over many lifetimes. Allow this Swami to once again insert when the word men or he is used, it is not to the exclusion of any other gender. The actual Sanskrit is only referring to an individual. Gender plays no role whatsoever. So please, lay those sort of thoughts aside. Verse 300. 51, Shiva says to Parvati, I ever salute the lotus feet of that one by whose grace I realize I am everything. By me, everything is imagined. I am blinded by the darkness of ignorance and deluded due to the pleasures of the senses. Bless me, O Lord, by giving me the light of, capital K, knowledge. Swami Anantananda's commentary here. Reminding us here of the answer to Parvati's question, which was the reason for this discourse in the first place. Namely, the question of why the Supreme Shiva would ever have cause to bow to another. Shiva, yet again, exemplifies the dictum, being Shiva, one should worship Shiva. <laughs> it is Shiva only who exists, both as the light-giving guru and the deluded jiva, or soul, or individual, alike. It is Shiva only who enlightens, and it is Shiva only who becomes enlightened. Honor yourself. Worship yourself. Meditate upon yourself. All big S self here. God exists within you as you. That a quote 
from Swami Muktananda, Baba, who was guru of this Swami's guru. <sighs> Thus ends the third chapter of the Guru Gita. Thus ends the Guru Gita in the dialogue between Shiva and Parvati in Uttarakhanda of the Skanda Purana. Thank you ever so much for allowing this Swami to deliver this to you. Something else <laughs> is ahead. <laughs> Namaste and blessings. Om Namo Narayanam.